This is a big book. Genesis through Revelation. And the Apostle Paul says under the direct inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, in light of all this book has to say, For I determined, I made this my resolve. I determined not to know, not to recognize, not to esteem anything as important. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. What a resolve in light of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. He said, I've made this my resolve. I've made this my determination. I'm not going to know anything else. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, what kind of understanding do you and I have of that statement? What kind of glory do we see in Jesus Christ and him crucified? I'm not talking about knowing to say it, but I mean in my heart believing this, that there is nothing else worth preaching that Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've entitled this message, Paul's Resolve. Now, why would he make such a resolve? What was behind this? You know, I've heard preachers get on hobby horses. You have to. And dwell on some particular doctrine or subject in the Bible to the exclusion of one that is equally important. And that is never right. But what is unique about this is only in preaching Christ and him crucified do you preach them all. The whole Bible is interpreted in this light. This is the interpretation of scripture. If I, if I, whatever I'm dealing with, if I can't go straight to the cross, I've missed the meaning. Well, that's what Paul means. Does that mean he never dealt with Mephibosheth or Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice or uh, passages from Isaiah and the Psalms? No, he preached everything in the Bible, but it was all distilled into this. I've determined not to know anything among you, to esteem anything as even, as, as even important, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look what he says in verse 22 of chapter 1. For the Jews require a sign, some tangible evidence, something I can see, something I can experience, something I can feel. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. How do we make this world a better place? But we preach Christ 
crucified. That's our message. And to the Jews, a stumbling block, they think this will lead to sin. You're not teaching people how to live. You're not telling people what to do. You're not giving them an encouragement in obedience and holiness. Unto the Jews, this is a stumbling block. It, it's a scandal. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. How's this going to make the world a better place? How's this going to improve health care and education? And how's this going to make a better culture and a better society? But unto them which are called. I don't expect everybody to believe our message or rejoice in our message. They ought to, but not everybody will. But unto them which are called, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. To them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, he calls both Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God, Christ is God's wisdom in making a way to be just and justify the ungodly. And Christ is the power of God to execute it. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now most preachers would say they preach the cross. And then they go on to other things. How to live the Christian life. You've heard that. How do you live the Christian life? How can we influence our society and culture? How to be a witness. You know, that I've always thought is the most interesting thing. You've got to teach somebody how to be a witness. That's a fraud on the very surface. Uh, you're a witness if you've seen something. Teach somebody how to witness. Something's wrong with that. You either are a witness or you're not. You don't teach somebody to witness how to stand against the sins of our times, how to fight substance abuse and abortion and pornography and all the horrible ills of our society. And there's plenty of them. Nobody's denying that. But if that's what we're doing, we're not preaching the cross. Preaching against sin is not Preaching the cross. Have you and I made this resolve? Have we seen such glory in the cross of Jesus Christ that we, like Paul, have determined to know nothing else? Have we seen... Christ crucified the way you see the sun when it rises. And all of a sudden is at, the z at its zenith. You know what? You don't see stars, do you? All you see is the sun. And that is what happens in hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord. God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, and he's talking about when he first came to Corinth, 
And, you know, he left Athens and came to Corinth. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. And he was alone in this big city. Can you imagine how uh, intimidating that might have been? I don't know if he already knew Aquila and Priscilla, but somehow he got into contact with Aquila and Priscilla, and they started making tents together. And he would go into the synagogue and preach every Sabbath day. And that's where the Lord said to Paul, Be not afraid, hold not thy peace, no man will hurt thee, because I have much people in this city. And he was there for 18 months preaching the gospel. And he said, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom. Eloquent, flowery speech. Dazzling displays of rhetoric and human wisdom and philosophy. Or even psychological tricks to manipulate. I didn't come that way. You know, that's what most preaching is, psychological manipulation, trying to manipulate people to respond to the way I want them to respond. Paul said, I did not come that way, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I came declaring the testimony of God. This is God's testimony. Hold your finger there and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now you see that? This is what Paul came preaching. The testimony of God. The testimony of the Lord. This is the Lord's testimony. I'm interested in that, aren't you? I want to know what he testifies. Here's the Lord's testimony. And this is what Paul came into Corinth preaching. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And here's his testimony, who has saved us and called us. I love the fact that he he gives us the order. This lets me know that salvation is altogether what he did. He saved us. Then he called us. You mean he saved you before he called you? In Christ he did. In Christ he did. Uh, I was saved in the land flame from the foundation of the world when my name was pinned in that book. Um, Did that happen at a point in time? I don't understand all that stuff. I just know it happened before time. And every believer, everything God requires of them, he looked to his son for. He saved us. You know what happens when he saves saves you? He calls you. If he saved you, he's called you by his gospel, by his spirit. Everyone he saves, he calls. If I would take this and say, well, I'm just going to wait and find out uh, on judgment day whether or not he saved me, you're a fool. If he saved you, he'll call you. 
who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Remember, this is the testimony of God. And hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Now you hold fast the form of sound words. That is the message. He came into Corinth all by himself preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, I determined, verse 2, that I made this my resolved, not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. All scripture can be interpreted by this verse. Wherever I'm at, Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21, if I can't interpret it in the light of Jesus Christ and him crucified, I have missed the meaning. You believe that? Jesus Christ, his person, crucified, his work, Jesus, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Christ, God's prophet, God's priest, God's king, crucified. The most shameful and ignominious death, stripped naked, nailed to a cross, now, does that mean in preaching Christ crucified, what I need to do is, is, is dwell on and describe the physical sufferings that took place? I'm overwhelmed by the physical sufferings that took place. I would not in any way diminish the physical sufferings of being stripped naked and nailed to a cross, put up in a stand and, and, and nailed there before a jeering crowd crown of thorns. But it's not preaching the physical sufferings of Christ. It's preaching the soul sufferings of Christ. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now what all that means, you and I will never know. We believe it. We bow we're amazed, we're smitten to think that God made him sin. Oh, the suffering of his soul. We don't know anything about it, and I'm thankful. Now, I can describe his physical sufferings more accurately than anyone ever has and never preach Christ crucified. Look what he says in verse 3. And I was with you. When I came into Corinth, I was with you in weakness and in fear 
and in much trembling. That's how I came. Not trying to project an image, but actually conscious of my own weakness and fear. Now, I'm not talking about fear of man. I'm talking about the fear of misrepresenting the Lord. The fear of preaching myself and not preaching Christ. The fear of not telling the truth. And right now, I am more anxious about that. I am more anxiety-filled about that than I've ever been. I want to preach the truth. I want to preach the gospel. And Paul said, I didn't come with some cocksure, arrogant, cocky attitude that I've got it all down. No, I came with weakness and fear and much trembling. Verse 4, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. My marginal reading says persuadable. Persuadable. You know what that's talking about? Here's the word. Manipulation. That's what most preaching, it's not real preaching, we'll call it whatever it's supposed to, they call it preaching, but what it is, it's psychological manipulation. Trying to get you to respond the way I want you to, and being able to say it in such a way as to make you respond. I mean, what's an altar call but psychological manipulation? It's nothing else. It's a, the people think that's the most important part of the service, and it's nothing but a man-made means of psychological manipulation and nothing else. And even, let's say, the giving is hurting, and I need to get people to give more, and I start telling about so-and-so who... Bless his heart. He was getting ready to go on vacation and he felt led to give all the money to the church instead. What, what, uh, what a, a sacrificial thing for him to do. Everybody's thinking, well, maybe I need to do that. You know what that is? That's manipulation. That's all it is. Psychological manipulation. Trying to get people to respond and trying to get people to do what I want them to do. That's not what preaching is. Now, I am persuading you and I and I want to preach passionately I don't want to you know some people's preaching kind of sounds like AI uh, uh, artificial intelligence you know and it, it doesn't it doesn't do me any good I want to be passionate in what I'm saying I want to I want to preach as one who knows the Lord but my job is not to manipulate you or to get you to respond my job is to tell the truth preach the gospel and leave it alone that's what he's talking about when he talks about um, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words with, of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now that is what I'm called upon to do. It's not to fill up these pews. It's to fill this pulpit, preaching the gospel, waiting on the power of the Spirit to take care of the results you know, I, when I remember that, it just it makes me feel a lot better. I, I don't have anything to do with this. You know, a preacher said, well, somebody, uh, I led somebody to the Lord. Did you now? Do you think some, maybe you did, maybe you didn't? I mean, you don't know. You don't know what the Lord uses. I hate it when preachers say that. I led this person to the Lord, or this person was saved under this sermon. Well, maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. It's just we preach the truth and wait on God to bless it to the hearts of his people. Now here's why I do this, Paul said. That your faith 
should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the omnipotence of God. That your faith doesn't stand in some man being able to convince you. If some man convinced you, some other man will talk you out of it. I want, Paul says, your faith to stand in the omnipotence of God, the creation of God's almighty power. If you have faith, it's the same power that created the universe, that created faith in your heart. Isn't that glorious? The faith of God's elect, the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. I want your faith to stand, as Peter said, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, why did Paul make this resolve? I'm going to make six statements with regard to this resolve. And I'm going to use the word interpretation in every single one of these statements. Now, Somebody says, we don't interpret anything. Yeah, you do. You interpret everything you hear. Uh, whatever, whatever you hear, you, you've got an interpretation of it. It might be the wrong interpretation. I want to have the right interpretation, don't you? Um, I want to. I, I love what Joe McSherry used to say. He said, I would not doubt it. I, I want to be right. I do too. I want to be right. But more importantly, I want to know what's right. That's what I want. Now, let me give you these six points, and all of them have the word interpretation. First, the cross of Jesus Christ is the interpretation of God's purpose and will. People are all the time trying to figure out what God's will for my life is. I like what one fellow said. You're up to your neck in it. Whatever it is, he's in absolute control of. But God's will and God's purpose is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I guess I quote this almost every time I preach, and I hope I die quoting this every time I preach. Christ is called in Revelation 13, verse 8, the Lamb Having been slain is the way the language actually reads. The lamb having been slain before the foundation of the world, before there was ever a sinner, before I ever committed a sin, there was a Savior. And that's God's eternal purpose. In eternity future, whatever that means. I mean, when we're always drowning when we're trying to talk about eternity because we're creatures of time. We live in sequence of events and days and nights and hours and all that. I, so when I say eternity future, somebody said, that's stupid. Well, I, I won't deny that. I don't know what else to say, though. But in eternity, whenever that, when, when time's no more, no days, no nights, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That is God's eternal purpose. That's why God created the universe. Remember this. 
The cross is not God's response to the fall of Adam. No, if you think that, you've missed it. The fall was purposed because Christ was going to come as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The cross is the interpretation of God's eternal purpose. The cross is the interpretation of the character of God. It's the second point. The cross is the interpretation of the character of God. Now, everybody uh, is born believing in the existence of God. Uh, If you have trouble with that, well, uh, you haven't always been that way. Uh, A kid just naturally believes that God is. I mean, somebody made this, nobody made him, and he was all-powerful in doing so. Everybody knows that God is. But as far as his character, his character is revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Every attribute of God is fully displayed in Christ being nailed to a cross. God's love. God so loved the world. Let's talk about folks like me and you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What love God manifests in the cross. You see, if he loves you, he'll save you. There's no such thing as his love being unrequited. If he loves you, he'll save you. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. The Lord said, you loved them as you loved me. And you think of the cross as a manifestation of the justice of God. Not one sin will ever go unpunished. Because God is just. If God let a sin go unpunished, he'd cease to be God. He can't do that. He's absolutely just. The cross is a declaration of the wisdom of God. How wise that he's made a way for me to stand before his presence without guilt, having never sinned, when I know how much I have sinned. He's made a way for that to not be. He's made a way for me to have a brand new history, and it's all good. He's made a way for me to stand sinless before him, Through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, all my sins punished, put away, blotted out, gone. The cross demonstrates his power, his power to make my sins not to be. His power to make me perfectly conform to the image of his son. The cross displays his sovereignty. I love the fact that the Lord had two people hanging by him on a tree. One, he saved. The other, he left to himself. God's sovereignty on display. He saves whom he will. Whom he will, he hardens. And whatever he does is right, just, holy, and true. The cross is the interpretate interpretation of God. The cross is God making himself known. 
Do you see this glory that Paul saw in the cross where he says, I don't want to know anything else. You see, that means you know everything if you know the cross. It's not meaning that you, you just disregard the rest of the Bible. No, the whole Bible is opened up through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the cross is the interpretation of man. I feel myself, believe myself, to be a sinner. When Brian was reading in Romans chapter 7, uh, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. You know, I was thinking while I was reading it, I know that too. I know it. Got no question about it. I know that's the truth with regard to me. And I also know this. I have very little understanding of my own sinfulness. And the only thing that tells me what I really am is the cross of Jesus Christ. Every one of us have been guilty. Don't let this pass you by. Every one of us have been guilty of the murder of the Son of God. Now that's my problem. That's my problem. And I believe that. I believe it because God says it. And I believe it. Nothing else is needed. God said it. This is a, don't, don't tell me about goodness in man. Don't tell me about any inherent goodness in man. It's not there. And the cross tells us that. The cross tells me the truth about all men. Yeah, but it tells me the truth about me. Yeah, I know all men are totally depraved, but I know I am totally depraved. That's what the cross tells me. The cross is the true interpretation of what man is. Fourth, the cross is the true interpretation of the law. All the law does is condemn sin. And you would think if there was ever a time where the Lord could lighten up on the condemnation of sin, it would be when his son, I feel so frustrated that I don't know how to say this the way I ought to. But you would, if there was ever a time where God could turn his back and, and not look at sin. You've done that with your kids, haven't you? You just didn't want to deal with them. Not God. He's absolutely just all the law does is condemn. It gives no power to obey. All it does is expose sin. And that is seen most clearly in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross is the interpretation of the law. It curses. Cursed be everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ hung on that tree under the curse of God's holy law. The cross is the interpretation 
of the gospel. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh. That would represent religion, wouldn't it? A fair show in the flesh. I want you to see how godly I am, how obedient I am, uh, how much I got a little bit over you. A fair show in the flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised. They say, oh, I know salvation's by grace, but there's something else you need to do. This would be obedience to the law. Yes, salvation is it's important to believe in grace, but you also need fill in the blank. Circumcision. You know, circumcision, as painful and horrible as you think that is, it'd be easier to be circumcised than to never tell a lie, wouldn't it? To never have a wrong thought. Circumcision, as painful as it may be, is the easiest commandment to keep. They constrain you to be circumcised. They want you to, and here's why. Only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see, if you preach nothing but the cross, if you believe nothing but the cross, you will be looked upon as a bad person. You're looking for excuses for sin and disobedience and this doesn't have any effect on your, you're, you're, you're a bad person. Now, these people that want to get you to be circumcised, he says, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. They want you to keep it, but they don't keep it. Isn't that hypocritical? They want you to keep it, but they don't keep it. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Look at the positive influence I've had on this person. I've won this person to Christ. I've, I've helped this person. I've given him uh, help to, to make his life better. Look at the good influence I've had. That's a notch in my belt. I've done this. I've done that. I've helped this person. I've helped that person. Now, listen to Paul's words. But... Now remember who's speaking. I know the Lord said John the Baptist is the greatest man to ever live. As among them that have, uh, among them that are uh, born of women, none has been greater than John the Baptist. And I'm sure none are greater than John the Baptist. But I, I kind of think Paul was pretty pretty close. Uh, maybe just just as he was the wise master builder. He's the man God used. God brought him up into heaven, taught him the gospel directly. He was used of God to establish churches. I mean, he's the man that who, who mainly the, the New Testament is understood through his writings. Paul, what a man. What does Paul say about himself? God forbid that I should glory, 
saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, you wrote scripture. I love it when Paul says, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He was right. He's nothing. If a man thinketh himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. The scripture says it's a good thing to be a nothing. If you get any above that, you're deceiving yourself. But here is where we glory. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I have confidence in. What he accomplished on Calvary's tree. Who he is, why he did it, where he is now. The cross. That is the gospel. And that, it, Paul said, this is what I glory in. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's finish this verse because my sixth point is I interpret Christian service by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul said, I can't glory in anything. Nothing. But the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. By who? The world is crucified unto me. Now, the world. That's not talking about planet Earth. Uh, there's so much beauty in planet Earth. Aren't you thankful for the beauty of our planet, the wisdom of God in creating the universe? And all things are yours. The Lord has given us this world to enjoy. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not like God wants you to be miserable and just keep it. No, he's given us all things richly to enjoy. And we're to enjoy one another. We're to enjoy relationships. There's so much about this world that we enjoy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the world that does not believe the gospel. He's talking about all the 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 desires of the world for the, the pride of life, the, um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all that's of the world that's anti-God. Paul said in light of the cross, it's a crucified thing to me. I, I, it, it's ugly. It's, it's undesirable. And I am to the world as well, he says. Now, it is only through the cross that our motive in serving God is love. Anything else is mercenary. It's only through seeing that I'm complete in Jesus Christ that I can't make my standing any better. I'm perfect in Christ Jesus. I'm not reaching for anything. God's satisfied with me. Only then. Can I serve him, not for mercenary reasons, hoping to earn his favor, hoping to get something. I do it because I love him. That's the only way. You see, law never produces love. It only produces fear and resentment. Nothing else. But oh, when I see that I am accepted in the beloved. 
I'm like Bartimaeus when the Lord said, Go thy way, thy faith is saved thee. He followed Jesus in the way. That's what you want. And it's only, it's only through the cross. It's, you can't serve God for any other reason. You'll have some bad motive, some mercenary motive. It's works. That's what it is. It's works. Law never produces love. The cross does. The love of Christ constrains me. The cross produces forgiveness. If you, if you understand the forgiveness that you've experienced through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be a forgiving person. You will be. The cross produces giving because I see what he's given me. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. It's a cross that makes a man willingly deny himself, take up his cross, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else is works, religion, is mercenary, is dishonoring to God. The cross is the only interpretation of our serving the Lord. Now, can you see why Paul said, I made this my resolve. I determined in my preaching. I made this my resolve not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That covers everything. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, enable us by your Spirit, like Paul, to say from a heart renewed by your grace, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, cause us to make this resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Lord, cause, deliver us from having that as a cliche statement, but cause it to be the very breath and heartbeat of our souls as we face this un upcoming week. We ask that you would give us grace to glory in the cross. And we ask that you would open up doors for us before men to glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us, bless our homes, bless us for Christ's sake. In his name we pray.